I know that the vast majority of you are here this morning eager to find out what is under the cloth here for the big reveal. And I wish that I could begin with the big reveal itself, but alas, we have a journey to take in order to arrive at that which lies beneath this tablecloth. There is no doubt in my mind that at some point, many of you, during the course of your education, and those of us who have the benefit of a classical education, almost assuredly found ourselves at some point in time connecting to the German artist Albrecht Dürer. Dürer is the most celebrated artist coming out of Germany. He's a Renaissance-era artist born in the last third of the 15th century and living into the first 20 or so years of the 16th century. He's known for his engravings, his watercolors, his pen and ink sketches, among many other modalities of art. He, in a way, according to the visual arts, was ambidextrous across mediums. If Dürer was a musician, he would be somebody like Dave Grohl, playing drums and ushering in a new era of rock and roll music, only to switch to found a different, exceedingly successful rock and roll band as a guitar-playing, singing frontman. Durer seemed to be able to do just about anything he set his mind to when it came to the visual arts. He has a really interesting story. He's one of 18 children. He is born to a father who is a goldsmith. And the expectation over the course of his life was that he would join his father in the practice of goldsmithing. But Durer and his brother Albert had a long-standing dream to go to art school. Now, each brother knew that there was no way a family with 18 children could come close to affording the art school education that both Albrecht and his brother Albert desired to have. There's this beautiful legend, and who knows if it's true or not, but it's too beautiful not to be true, if you follow me here. There's this beautiful legend that Albrecht and his brother Albert come together when they come of age, when it's time for them to go to art school. And they create an agreement one with another that they'll toss a coin. And whoever wins the coin toss will go to art school while the other brother goes to the mines and works to fund his brother's educational art school experience. The two brothers flip the coin, and Albrecht is the winner of four years of art school. The deal is, is that after those four years, 
if the artist is, is successful enough, then through the sale of his art, he will fund his brother's art school. If he is not successful enough, he will take his brother's place in the mines, working to fund the educational experience of his brother. Albrecht wins the coin toss, and his brother Albert goes to the mines. Albrecht comes alive in art school, and he's seen by the art community and all the instructors almost immediately as an extraordinary artist, able to do almost everything he sets his minds and his heart and his hands to. He is a remarkable student. After he finishes four years of art school, he has the offer of two more years, a sort of thing that we might in our day and age call a fellowship, and his brother Albert agrees to two more years in the mines. Albrecht emerges from six years of studying art as the most promising art prodigy Germany has ever created. After his graduation, he travels back to Nuremberg where his family is. He calls his family together under a great celebration, a celebration dinner to give honor to his brother Albert and the sacrifice that Albert has made in order for Albrecht to enjoy the success that he has enjoyed. Albrecht stands up and toasts his brother and then asks his brother to stand up and he says to his brother exactly what we all think he would say. Now, Albert, now it is your time to leave the mines and go to art school. Albert responds to his brother's gift in this way. He says, Albrecht, it has been a great honor, the greatest honor of my life, to work on your behalf in the mines. However, these six years in the mines have been so hard on my body, and in particular on my hands, that they are so broken and so early early-ish arthritic that there is no way that I have the capacity for art school. The family is silenced. Albrecht is humbled by the gift that his brother offers. Days or weeks or a month past, Albrecht comes to his brother Albert and says with great humility, asks his permission to draw his hands. Albert gives him permission, and the piece of art that Albrecht creates is on the back of your bulletin. It was named by Durer just the hands. But over the course of the last few centuries, the piece has been come to be known as the praying hands. Albrecht Durer's praying hands still exist 
as one of the most powerful pieces of art coming out of Renaissance art, of the genre itself. And the legend behind it is just too beautiful not to be true. The image itself has moved across the globe. It's so famous that an engraved image of the, of the drawing itself is on Andy Warhol's tombstone. And the Biebs, Justin Bieber, has a tattoo of the hands <laughs> on his calf. The image tells a story. In fact, our hands tell a story, right? Those of us who are parents will never forget our infant, tiny little hand grasping our pinky finger for the first time. Some of us have stowed away on a high bookshelf somewhere that kindergarten imprint of a hand in clay. We remember our own hands sliding in to our very first baseball glove. Perhaps we recall walking home in the eighth grade with our first sweetheart holding hands. Or we remember that firm handshake while our other free hand receives a diploma, one that was hard-earned and hard-fought. We remember the trembling and shaking hands that went along with that first job interview. Perhaps we can recall a sparkly jewel sliding down a slender finger acknowledging the fact that two flesh can become one flesh in a beautiful way. Or if your hands are anything like mine, countless age spots recount the stories of so many magnificent trout on the end of a line. You see, our hands tell a story. And not unlike many other stories, our sacred story is replete with the images and references about the hands of God. Now you must be scratching your head and wondering what first advent and the big reveal has anything to do with the hands of God but even this passage that we have from Isaiah this morning has this wonderful, beautiful reference that some of us can recall. You are the potter and we are the clay. We are the work of your hands. Scripture has dozens, if not hundreds of references to the hand of God meant to lead us to a place, to an understanding that we are safe and secure in the world in which we live as creatures of this earth created by a loving God, made in God's image, which is love. 
I will never forget sitting in the pew at Virginia Seminary during a morning prayer service. Morning prayer, if you know the liturgy itself, is full of readings and canticles, and many of those canticles or those songs are poetry, lyrics stolen from the pages of our sacred text. And there's a particular canticle that comes from Psalm 95. And I remember just being stopped in my tracks in a beautiful moment in the pew of Virginia Seminary Chapel, which has since burned to the ground, where I was listening to Canticle 95 being sung by the choir. And the lyric was, in his hand are the caverns of the earth. And two things stopped me there. The first thing was like, wait, his hand? Not his hands? In his single hand are the caverns of the earth? The lowest places of the earth fit in God's single hand? That's how big God is? And then just this idea of the enormity of creation resting in a place of security, a sense of snugness, a sense of safety, giving me, as I listen to the choir sing, that beautiful canticle, a sense of groundedness. Now here we sit, on the first Sunday of Advent, 2023, awaiting the big reveal. And those of us who are fluent in the church calendar know that part of the experience of Advent is living in a sense of expectation of that which is about to emerge at Christmas tide. And what emerges at Christmas tide is the real corporeal or fleshy presence of God in our lives in a beautiful and extraordinary way. Because most of the time, most of the time when we are relating to God, that relationship can be disembodied. It can be one that we don't necessarily have a sense of security around, one that no doubt engages our faith, but one that we would like to have a little bit more of a hold on. And so we engage in this practice of the season of Advent, this season of waiting and expectation in practices that help ground us absent the fleshy experience of God. That's just where we are going over the course of the next four weeks. I want us as a church to come together and to focus on a number of practices that lend to us a sense of groundedness a sense of security in, in, our, 
in our presence, in our lives here on the ground in creation, and a sense of security that we have in our relationship with a disembodied God. I want us to find some ways to experience some snugness, some closeness in our relationship to God. And so in a moment, when you all come up to receive communion, you will see that there is a basket full of a symbol. (laughs) A symbol of cozy warmth. The focus for the season of Advent for St. John's Episcopal Church is going to be creating cozy, creating a sense of snugness, a sense of security as we await the arrival of the babe Jesus. There are literally hundreds of hats, and there is one for each of you. Now look, I know you live in Jackson, Wyoming. You have a million water bottles and a million hats, right? Maybe you, like me, have even sorted through those things already as you've engaged in the practice of wintering, this practice of creating snugness and coziness as we move from the outside back to the inside. But I would argue you don't have a hat like this. (laughs) You see, this hat is not just a warm hat. This hat is a symbol, a symbol of the fact that each of us rests firmly and safely within the hand of God. There's this beautiful line from Job that reads, in the hand of God are all the lives of the living creatures and all the breath of humankind. I invite you to grab a hat and to begin to engage in practices over the course of the next four weeks that remind you that you, that we, are safe, secure, snug, and cozy within the hand of God.